There's nothing more formative than being on the other side of somebody who's relying on your advice, your expertise, and your views to run their business or their department or their team. You are now tuned into the Macy Muse Unplugged, a pop-up podcast variety show helping consultants along their journey to greatness with your host, management consultant, author, and blogger, Christy Lindor. go-getters. Welcome to the Missy Muse Unplugged podcast show. I'm your host, Christy Lindor. Super excited to be bringing you episode 32. Uh, Today, we're going to be doing AMA, Ask Me Anything. And if this is your first time tuning in, AMAs are when I have the utmost pleasure of connecting with either seasoned or former consultants, and they give you advice. Today's guest, super excited. We've got Ron Carucci, a little bit about Ron. He is the managing partner of Navalet, a consulting firm. He's also a author as well as a TEDx speaker. And we really have a really cool candid discussion about Ron's career journey and uh, discuss a couple of different topics, particularly around transformational initiatives and some of the challenges with those types of projects and so much more. I think you'll really enjoy today's episode, Go-Getters. Today, I'm actually also super thrilled and excited to share with you that the Misi Muse book is actually now available on Amazon Kindle. We just went live on Amazon, super excited. And with our launch, we're actually going to be running a limited price of $1.99 for the book. For the Kindle version, the full price is $9.99 in the future, but we're running it at $1.99. We'll continue to scale the price. So it's a limited time for about a week. So uh, check out the notes. I'll actually add uh, links in today's show notes. Go-getters for you to be able to connect and download the Amazon uh, Kindle edition of the Missy News. Very excited that we have gotten to this point for sure. Other things, other announcements. So the paperback um, will be available on Amazon. I'm literally on pens and needles waiting for that to drop. So stay tuned for that. Right now, the the paperback, once it is available on Amazon, it will be for uh, pre-order. So we'll be taking pre-orders and shipping books starting February 20th. So so stay tuned for that, go-getters. Lastly, as you'll notice, we've actually dropped today's episode a day early. I'm excited that this week's early release is actually timed um, because my book launch party is actually happening today. So we'd love to have you join us. If you can, it'll be a Facebook Live, Go-Getters, and I'll make sure that we add a link to today's show notes. Go ahead and check us out. We'll be live streaming the event or at any time during the day, go ahead and just tweet your congrats um, using hashtag MissyMuse. 2K18. So again, the hashtag for today, MissyMuse 2K18. You know, use that hashtag. Let, let me know what are some of your favorite episodes. Let me know what are things that you want to read about the book and just so much more questions you may have about my journey with the book. Would love to be able to answer those at tonight's party. I cannot believe this day has come, go get her. It's, it's just really remarkable. I've actually been having a lot of people ask me lately about, you know, kind of how I started on this journey. And I do recommend, if you haven't, go ahead and check out episode one. So this is the intro episode of the Missy Muse Unplugged podcast show. 
go ahead and check that out. And I delve really deep into, you know, kind of a little bit about my, my journey and how I've been scaling, you know, the mission of being the, the mentor that I wish I had. So with that, let's get started with today's episode. Today, we've got Ron uh, Carucci of uh, Navalet Consulting. So Ron, thank you so much for joining us on the MeC News Unplugged. How are you doing? Hey, Christy, great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Thank you, thank you. What part of the world are you currently sitting in, Ron? I'm in Seattle, Washington, looking oh. at the beautiful snow on the trees for a change. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice. We just got like dumped with all the snow yesterday <laughs> here in I Boston. Heard. So, I heard that. yeah, yeah. So you're. I'd love to switch places with you anytime, uh, <laughs> given that. But I guess before we get started um, with today's episode and, and interview, two things. Before I have you introduce yourself, I did want to share that you have hit a, super, a superlative on our show, given that you are the first consulting partner that we have on the MeSee Museum Plug. So really excited for today's conversation. Glad to be here. Absolutely. So Ron, maybe with that, you can, uh, you know, Introduce yourself to the go-getters of the Missy Museum Unplugged. Yeah, so my, uh, my name is Ron Carucci, and I spend my days with my firm, Navalent, uh, traipsing the hallways of large and small organizations, uh, looking for mostly the, our engagements are around very messy, high-risk, high-visibility transformations. So usually at the enterprise level, a CEO or a senior executive has has some mandate or some charge to either preemptively create change or in response to some unforeseen disruption, create change. And so at the intersections of strategy and organization and leadership, we accompany them on that journey. Usually it's a couple of years to help them find some aspired future that they otherwise might have missed. I, I so love the work. I'm going to be biased because I'm, I'm doing the same type of consulting work. So I know that you're doing extremely meaningful work, which is really great to hear. So Ron, maybe if you can help us, um, before we talk specifically about how you started your company, maybe you can let us know how did you get started in consulting and you know if it's been everything you expected it to be for you. Well, it's a, we're going to have to go back a lot of years. <laughs> and I spent, you know, like many change practitioners, spent my good number of years inside corporations. My first job out of college was actually with a nonprofit consulting firm. So I had a taste of what it meant to be outside of organizations early on. But then I came back inside. And for the next, you know, 10 or 11, 12 years, um, struggled. I think, um, you know, as passionate I wa- as I was about organizations and improving them and improving their the integrity of how they worked together and how they synchronized together. The political la- landscapes can be difficult. You know, an ancient wise prophet once said, you can't be a prophet in your own land. And uh, I think I learned the hard way that in order to do the work we do well, you have to tell the truth. You have to mm. be honest. You have to shed spotlights on things that organizations often conspire very hard to cover up. And so I realized after a third attempt at a big corporation that if I was going to live out my passion for organizations and express my desire to make them better places to work, I was probably going to have to do that by not being part of one. I realized that what got me in trouble inside companies got me paid well, the same activity got me paid well outside them. And so began my career as a consultant officially after realizing that the same type of work inside companies in the way I wanted to practice it. There are lots of great practitioners inside companies doing fabulous work. But for the kind of change I wanted to provoke, I realized that I was best going to be positioned outside of a company. 
And so have spent lots of years as an independent, as a solo practitioner, as part of a very, as a mid-sized boutique firm that later was acquired by a very large firm. So I've done mid and large size consulting. And then we, um, being part of the larger firm was also for a number of us, not what we, it was also right after 9-11. So there was some other challenges in, the, in our industry then. And so we decided to live the dream by saying, let's go start our own boutique firm. And that was about 13 years ago. Thank you for giving that background. One question for you before we continue, just to, you know, in case gold gutters are listening and, and wondering, if you can maybe shed some light on what are the skills that made you successful being an internal consultant versus those that make you more successful as an external facing, client facing type of consultant. If you can share kind of the, the differences, that'd be awesome. Well, so I think inside a company, you have the requirements of being part of a political landscape. So you've got to be you got to be somewhat savvy. You can't pull your punches and you know be so native that you're you're not provoking change. But at the same time, you've got to also recognize that the people who are your clients are also your bosses, and that requires a a a, a more delicate relationship management skill. The decisions you're de-risking have to do with your expertise, right? Outside, we're de-risking financial decisions, but inside, you're de-risking a relational decision. And so your competence and the depth of your capability becomes your selling feature. You have to amass a track record of results and impact. You're also with those organizations for longer periods of time. So unlike a consultant who may come and go in six months or a year, the results of your work will go on for many years with you. And so you've got to be able to have much more staying power and resilience to follow through on your projects and keep up with your, with your internal clients. The other thing, often internally, you're managing enterprise-wide processes. You're managing the succession or, or strategy or other types of core processes that are repetitive. And so how you're continually improving those processes, how you're making them better for the purposes of showing and demonstrating your own continued impact also become important. As an external consultant, you know, you'll be with an enterprise for a defined period of time and you'll go. And so it's a different type of risk uh, that leaders are engaging in when they hire you. And that was a really helpful explanation. What would you say is your definition, Ron, of a great consultant? Well, I think, you know, early on, uh, back in the 2000s, one of my first books was The Value Creating Consultant. And its sequel was Relationships That Create Change. Because at the time, our industry was taking a well-deserved punching from the world. You had books like Witch Doctors and Consulting is Insulting and a lot of literature and research on the horrors of our industry and the exploitation of our industry. It was painful to be associated with that kind of behavior. And for me and some colleagues, we thought, well, but there's still got to be value we can add. What is it that we can do that's helpful? And so we did a ton of research on consulting engagements and the relationships between consultants and their clients to understand what was it that set great consulting apart, that set great consultants, distinguished them from bad ones. Um, And there were a couple of things. One is too often consultants believe that they come in like a messiah, right? I'm here with an answer uh, that you need versus the consultant that really acts like a partner and is really there with better heart and harder questions. Too often consultants, especially if you're with a firm, have to create dependency, right? So my revenue stream, my income, my incentives are attached to the longer you hire me, which means I have to make you helpless uh, and more dependent on me rather than, rather than a great consultant that actually works himself out of a job or herself out of a job by making you more capable. And finally, there's the consultant that is the rubber stamp, right? There's the one that tells you what you want to hear, the one that ratifies your already predetermined point of view versus a truth teller 
the one that comes in and gives you an honest, unfiltered look at reality, however painful that might be. And so I think if you're a consultant and you're not willing to be those things, you know, a true partner, a true capability builder, a true truth teller, you shouldn't be in this business because all you're going to do is perpetuate the bad reputation many consultants already have of being people who come in, charge millions of dollars, leave lots of unimplementable binders and answers on shelves that never get looked at again, and don't leave the organization better than you found it. With that, if you can maybe also share, Ron, what, what is a, a story or you know, an experience that you had that maybe shaped you know, some of the core values that you just mentioned about being a great consultant? Yeah, well, so in one of, um, when I was still internal, my last stop on the train as an internal consultant, we were working with, uh, it was a technology company, and we were, we were in the IT department of the technology company, which having all kinds of executional challenges. And the leadership of that group was notoriously not a great group of leaders to work with. Lots of turnover in the department, lots of quality issues. So we did a fairly in-depth diagnostic of the organization uh, through some interviews and some surveys. And indeed, the data revealed that there were some problems. And on the dimension of integrity, you know, so at the aggregate level of the data, you saw this little dip in the bar of integrity. Well, one of the leader who was really quite corrupt, he had his own, his own cronies of uh, people who were there to protect him. And in the meeting where we were discussing the data, one woman in his corner stood up and immediately began to try and discredit the data by saying, you know, in all kinds of t- statistical, whatever language, you know, tell me about the R factor of your data. What is the reliability and validity statistics? How do we know this data even is even meaningful? And an attempt to discredit the data. I thought, gosh, this is a pretty defining moment for me. I can take this bait and cave, or I can tell the truth. And so I, I answered her questions. I said, well, let me tell you about the, the validity and reliability statistics of the data. It's pretty high. It's a, it correlates at a 0.8. The data is representative of about an 80% participation rate. So I gave her all the technical answers to her question. I said, but you know what? Let's go ahead and test your theory that integrity is or isn't an issue in your group. And I said to the group, by a show of hands, how many people in this room have never lied to somebody else in this room? And of course, nobody raised their hands. So I looked at her and I said, I guess we know what the data is actually telling us, don't we? And it was a very powerful moment for me and my team and for those in the organization feeling oppressed and feeling like they had been silenced and feeling like they were not able to have a voice. Politically, it didn't work out too well for me <laughs> later, but um, I realized that's the kind of change I want to provoke. But the risk of provoking that kind of change as an insider was probably too great. Right, right. And people don't realize the aspects of transformational change and that you know, there, there is sometimes, I, I call it the sacrificial lamb, right? <laughs> that takes place with, with large-scale transformational programs. You've done this a lot longer than I have, Ron, but have you ever been able to go through a transformation and there not be that person, whether it's the consultants are deemed that or the partner or the sponsor? Have you ever seen where there wasn't that person that kind of gets the hit for the political, you know, as a result of the political, you know, collateral damage that comes with change? Well, so you know, there's two different types of sacrificial lambs. There's the ones that actually need to be slaughtered and the ones that get inadvertently blamed as, and uh, become collateral damage when they shouldn't have been. You know, maybe they were the ones that were trying to be prophets the whole time. I've seen both. I think of the transformational programs we design where we great diagnostic, a very thorough forensic sort of MRI on the front end helps reveal where those landmines are. And so that 
people who have been holding the organization hostage too long or people who have been allowed to perform uh, at incompetent levels too long are forced to improve or are forced to leave. We try and steer the kinds of changes we lead in that direction rather than some, you know, political agenda that some leader has to sort of exit people they don't like or to get rid of their nemesis. Um, typically, a lot of that baggage already happened before we come in. But typically, as part of the way we work, obviously can't always avoid it, but we hold leaders accountable to making, if it's going to be exits of people in any kind of form, that it's justified and it's data-based and rooted in the need, of the, uh, need for the change you're aspiring to, not in some other agenda. Well said, well said. Now available on Amazon, management consultant and author Christy Lindor shares career secrets based on 15 years of experience working at top firms in a new book called The Misi Muse, 100 plus selected practices, unwritten rules and habits of great consultants. The Misi Muse provides insights, stories and strategies on the unwritten rules of the consulting profession. Christy conducted research and connected with 50-plus industry titans across 27 professional service organizations on what makes a great consultant. For book reviews, tour dates, and more info, go to www.mecmuse.us. So, Lauren, I'm actually going to pivot. This is this is great just to hear your perspective. I found out more about you in, when I attended uh, last year the TEDx Beacon Street Talks, and you gave a really compelling talk on organizational transformation. Uh, but then, you know, upon doing a little bit more research, I also found out about the TEDx talk you did on how to be more powerful than the powerless. So maybe you can give us some context in terms of how you got started with TEDx talks and, you know, what, you know, why you chose those specific topics. That'd be great. Yeah. So, you know, it was, uh, for me, I hired my own coach uh, a couple of years ago, you know, as a, as part of the, we should all take our own medicine belief in how consultants get better. There's never a time in your career where you've arrived. And so a couple of years ago, I decided to start my game and not rest on 30 years of experience, but try and continue to grow. And as part of how I thought about my work as a thought leader and someone who brought how to bring compelling insights to my clients, um, set out uh, on a number of fronts, one of which was, you know, the how, how do I use my voice in more outward facing settings beyond my clients? TED was a great platform for that. My last book called Rising to Power was based on a 10 year longitudinal study of leaders transitioning into broader roles of influence inside organizations. And the, the reality that we've known that more than half of them fail within their first 18 months was painful for us. And we didn't, we were confused by why that, that had become so, so acceptable. And so our research set out to find out why that was. And more importantly, how could we steer clear of all that carnage and find out what it, what it actually took to be influential and succeed in positions of broad leadership. So the two TED Talks you're talking about were both based in that research. The first one on power that you reference was, you know, in part because that's a, it was such a personal and sacred topic to me. How many of us are just sick to death of how many more headlines do we need to see every by the day now? They seem to be coming out of one more leader that abused his power for exploitative or immoral or self-interested reasons. And it just continues to, you know, one bad apple does poison a whole bunch. All leaders, I think, are now, they begin distrusted until proven trustworthy. And the reality is, as you heard in the TED Talk, the shocking finding in our research was that 
the greatest abuse of power that we found among a 2,700-person sample was not self-interest. It was not immoral or personal exploitative gain. The greatest abuse of power uh, was the abandonment of it. So a fearful use of the power that came with their roles, they just simply chose not to. And I think the part of my intent in the talk was if we, if we want to stop seeing so many leaders exploit their power for self-interest, more of us who aren't using our power need to start. I still love that. And go-getters, we're going to also put a link to that TEDx talk um, out there. I thought that was really good. You know, a line that you said in the TEDx talk, Ron, was that, you know, power not being either good or bad, but, you know, just giving kind of experience, people's experiences with it, they, they usually do associate it to one or the other. I thought that was just so spot on because I, I never really thought of power you know, with that type of dynamic. Um, so so it, was really, it was really helpful to hear the insights from your research. It's an interesting insight, isn't it, Christy, that most of us hear the word power and we cringe. The immediate association of it is with, you know, as the Alvin Toffler quote says, you know, because of the bad odor that clings to power because of all the misuses it's been put to, um, we just assume that power, and of course, we've all heard the quote about absolute power corrupts, that we assume that the minute someone acquires power in any form, whether it's positional or influential or financial, it will be used for corruption. Because that's what the media and headlines tell us so much of, we don't often get to see how many people are using power for great good, right? That our positional power allows us to bring justice where there's been injustice. Our relational power allows us to enable others to become and flourish, and our informational power allows us to help change perspectives and broaden views in the world. So there is great power to be had to do great good and the sources of power available to us if we would just embrace them and use them. Totally agree, for sure. I'm actually going to switch gears again. I have one more question before we close out. Just you know, going back to your, your company, Ron, when you're hiring you know, new consultants or you know, fresh out of college or early career consultants, what are some of the traits that you look for, you know, in these types of individuals that maybe, you know, go-getters out there that are looking for consulting roles should consider? In our firm, most of our consultants come with some pre-existing experience just because of the level at which we play in an organization. We don't have, we're small firms, so we don't bring armies of folks in. I think the sad part about too many of the larger firms, all due respect to you aside, Christy, I think too many consultants get put in back rooms early on in careers and don't get client-facing experiences. So I would, I would never encourage an aspiring consultant fresh out of undergrad or grad school to go to a place where they're not going to have any time with clients because you're not a consultant if you haven't got clients. <laughs> and so if you're, if you're crunching numbers, doing analytical work, if you're doing important work that helps other consultants be impactful, that's great, but that's we're hardly going to get you the experience that you need to build your own muscles to face off. There's nothing more formative than being on the other side of somebody who's relying on your advice, your expertise, and your views to run their business or their department or their team. And so you've got to get quick experience, even if it's pro bono and even if it's voluntary. Get yourself in front of somebody else where your advice matters um, so you can learn how to build attachment genuine healthy attachment where your expertise and your credibility because at the end of the day your relationship with somebody else is the only vehicle by which your insights and advice is translated into credible action so you have to learn to form attachment i've got a great piece in forbes um my forbes column i write for a yearly on you know the dimensions of what healthy attachment looks like and how to be influential through those relationships so you've got to learn how to do that secondly you've got to learn how to 
come out from behind your tools. Too many early career consultants feel like imposters. They feel like, who's going to want to hear what I have to say? Or, you know, I'm so young, they're not going to believe that I have anything to offer. And so they hide behind tools and models and frameworks and data. And you can't lead with those. Nobody's paying you for that. You've got to stand on your own two feet and learn to find the efficacy of your own voice, no matter how, how young or old you are. Your tools, your frameworks, your models, your methodologies are all very interesting. Your client already assumes you have those. But if you're not contextualizing those to the advice you're giving your client, you're just regurgitating something they could read in a book. So you've got to learn to build attachment, to find your own voice, and to be influential with clients. And if the earliest career experiences you're going to have won't give you those, I, I would definitely urge you to think twice about how you choose your early assignments. Awesome. This is such great timely advice for the new year, Ron. And I so loved our conversation. I, I wish that I could, I had more time to really connect with you and talk about other topics. Would love to have you on the show in the future, if you wouldn't mind. I, I think this is great. Sure. I'd love to come back. And so Go-Getters, we'll definitely put, you know, links to, you know, all of Ron's books, the articles he talked about, everything so that you can check it out. But if uh, some of the Go-Getters want to get in touch with you, Ron, like what's the best way that they can do that? Yeah. So come to visit us at, the, at our website, Navalent, N-A-V-A-L-E-N-T.com. You'll find a quarterly magazine you can get from us. There's a great blog. There's a bunch of really great and inspiring videos on consulting and how we think about our consulting work. There are links to the books, but you also, if you come to navalin.com slash transformation, you'll find our free ebook on leading transformation in organizations, give you our blueprint for how we see change happening, and you, know, you can incorporate that into your own toolkit. I'm also on Twitter at, at Ron Carucci and on LinkedIn as well, so come find me in both places and let's keep the conversation going. I'm definitely going to uh, make sure I check you out on Twitter as well, Ron, because you, you're definitely the, the mentoring type that y you know, younger consultants look for. So thank you for making time to connect with us on today's show. Christy, my pleasure. Happy New Year to you. Yeah, Happy New Year. Tune in every Friday for new episodes syndicated on iTunes, Google Play Music, and many more. Visit www.misimuse.com for more information. 